I really like that. I wonder if we have so many good endings now. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like, what's the movie? Oh, Clue. Yeah. Remember that movie, Clue, that has, yeah. it just keeps ending yeah. in different yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 87. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and today we are wrapping up our conversation on the corporal acts of mercy. Professional football player and coach Chuck Knoll once said, quote, leaving the game plan is a sign of panic, and panic is not in our game plan. Last week, we began a discussion on how to live out the corporal acts of mercy, the game plan for how to love others well and how to begin transforming the wider world starting in your corner. This week, we finish off with the final tenets of the game plan and ready ourselves to put it all into action. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, would you please take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast? When we receive ratings and reviews, our podcast becomes more visible and easier to find for new listeners. We would also love it if you shared this episode with your friends. Let us know what you think. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Leanna D.Y., who graciously left us a five-star review on iTunes and said, I picked this podcast back up again recently since I'm in the home more since lockdown. It's one of the things I look forward to as I get the household chores done. Not only is the Modern Lady podcast entertaining and informative, it really is an inspiration to go and bring beauty and goodness into our homes. I recommend this to any woman who sees the tremendous value in her family and her home, end quote. Well, thank you so much, Leanna, for your message. It is always so nice to hear from inspired women like yourself who are committed to building up their homes and the people in their lives. Happy to be your company as you get your chores done. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Welcome back to part four in this five-part series on calling card etiquette. Today we're going to look at what turned down corners meant on a calling card and visiting hours. So in the first part of this calling card series, I mentioned what it meant when the top right-hand corner was folded down. But to recap, that meant that the person who was presenting the card was actually there in person versus a servant presenting the card on behalf of the caller. If the left-hand upper corner was folded down, then the visit was a congratulatory visit. A condolence visit would be indicated by the lower left-hand corner being folded. If you were going on a long trip, you would fold the lower right corner. Now, when it comes to visiting hours, these hours were limited, which was actually very practical as you didn't want to have to entertain visitors during the morning and then again in the afternoon and in the evening. Many calling cards would have the person's visiting hours clearly engraved on the card. It would say something like Mondays, three to six. And this way, no one would be offended if they were refused entry when visiting at a different time. These visits would only last 15 to 20 minutes and one would know to depart if more people arrived and the room became crowded or if the conversation stalled. If the visiting hours were, say, 
let's say again, three to six. And if someone showed up right at three, they would know that it was impolite to accept an offer of tea at that time because it wasn't quite tea time yet. And that tea would have to be specially made for you right at 3, 3 p.m. So while the tea was always offered, people would know to politely turn it down. If someone didn't want to receive visitors during their regular visiting hours, their servant would simply say that they weren't at home. They were, though, expected to pay a return visit to whoever left the card there within three days of receiving their card. Hmm. Hearing about the corners being turned down, all the different ones, mm-hmm. right-hand corner, left-hand corner, <laughs> um, bottom left, bottom right, it reminds me of the calling card hokey pokey. <laughs> <laughs> You fold the left corner in, you fold the left. You receive congratulations if it's left folded up, it's condolences. Yeah. Imagine the wrong one. Because that one, congratulations and condolences are on both on the left side. You can't, you can't screw that up. No, and they do say you learn quicker if you put it to song. So maybe we're on to something here. If calling cards come back, you be on the lookout, care of the Modern Lady podcast, for the calling card hokey pokey. Last week, in part one of How to Change the World, we began digging into the corporal acts of mercy, as outlined by the Catholic Church, as a means by which we can have immediate and lasting impact on our families and communities. And I think one thing that I'm finding throughout this discussion, Lindsay, is how good it feels even just having concrete and sound instructions on what to do next in these times, right? Oh, oh, these times. Yes, Michelle, yes. Um, you and I love having our battle plans, right? And mm-hmm. we, I guess people always joke that life doesn't come with an instruction book, but we actually kind of believe it does. Yeah. And so it's all <laughs> so laid true. out for us, right? So why try to reinvent the wheel? So we're going to continue down the list of the corporal acts of mercy. And we are now at number four, which is to shelter the homeless. Um This is very interesting right now because of COVID. Uh, I know that in our city, COVID has presented a unique situation here to provide extra housing for the homeless. Mm -hmm. And so it, uh, they've been using hotels, actually hotels and motels all throughout our city, um, have been converted over into homeless shelters, temporary homeless shelters. So those hotels, it's kind of a, kind of a win-win. I'm going to say that there are a lot of pros and cons to this, um, but the hotels that are sitting empty and that they, the businesses mm-hmm. could go into ruin because nobody's traveling are getting the money that the government would give to other shelters at that time. And they're getting their rooms filled up. This has caused a lot of issues in the city uh, that we are in, a lot of policing issues. So I'm not saying it's the perfect solution. It's certainly not, but it's something that they're trying. And I'm glad to see that mm-hmm. they are trying this. So before getting into policing, Jason was a social worker at Covenant House in downtown Toronto. It is at that time, it was the biggest homeless shelter in downtown Toronto. So this is something that was very close to him and to our family. And I don't know if you know this, Michelle, but they, Jason had to sleep rough, they called it. He had to sleep outside uh, as part of his training so that he could learn to empathize with the, with the youth. Mm. They work primarily with teenagers. So he had to beg for money and to sleep outside. He did that in Nathan Phillips Square, downtown Toronto, so a popular area where people would sleep and man oh man did he learn a lot about what it's like to have to ask for money while sitting on the street it was it was a very interesting experience and they do that i think some other times again not during covid but there were opportunities for other people to do that and then to raise money 
But yeah, the uh, homeless situation is something that my family has talked about a lot due to Jason's previous job and then his interactions with homeless people as a police officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was considering homelessness as a as a bigger picture, I was thinking there are so many questions here that so many of us, including myself, don't have the answers to and are you know scared to face because these are serious situations. These are life and death situations. I remember when, um, again, Jason's previous job experience, he would work with foster kids. And I remember saying, oh, I guess orphanages are gone, right? Like, mm. I don't see any orphanages. And he's like, no, Lindsay, they're called group homes. And I'm like, mm. oh, oh, that's an orphanage? Yeah. And he was working in some of those. And he's like, those kids are still orphans. They they don't have a home. And so I'm sitting, you know, thinking about my notes here. And I'm like, okay, well, what about those children waiting for adoption? What about refu- the refugee situation? What about fostering kids who just need a temporary home? These are all homelessness. These mm-hmm. are all people who are without a permanent solution for uh, as a home right now. And again, I don't have all the answers, but these are things that do work into this corporal act of mercy. And, and we should be asking ourselves, okay, what can I do in all of these areas? Yeah, that's a really interesting point because we, we do recognize, especially here on our podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? That the, the impact that home has, yeah. right? And so to consider those who either had their homes taken away, or had to leave their homes behind, um, they do bear special consideration uh, whenever we consider these corporal acts of mercy. And like you, I don't have the answers as well. Like I know there's so many moving parts, but I think it just comes down to we for sure can begin at always um, seeking the shelter of people who don't have a home and the support of the right of those people to have a home. (laughs) Um, Right. Um, And, and to help whoever does have an idea, (laughs) try to flesh that out and work, work on that out as best that we can in where we are. Yeah. And that, that is an important, actually through all of these topics, I kept seeing the church pushing uh, a need for us to be involved with local politics, right? And Mm. having an understanding of what laws and what grants are happening in your communities, what social programs they have. There There is a huge social justice element that's a part of the Catholic Church. And so it's just this idea of if there, if we can't adopt five kids tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. we, we can at least acknowledge that they are living in a group home. Like, like I said, I didn't even know that. So right. starting there and then finding out, okay, well, what does our government do for that? What, do, what does this look like on a municipal level, on a provincial level, on a federal level? So I do think that that's really important as well. And that's something that the church is, is pushing us to do as well, to look into the politics of all of this and figure out that how we can vote for and help, um, you know, on a, on a legal level, people's lives get better because you're absolutely right, Michelle, everybody deserves a home. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a right that everybody has a right to, and we should be working towards that. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing we can do, and I have a lot of friends who are actually really good at this. Um, they put together those care kits for homeless people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was looking up some of the items that should be in a care kit, if that's something anybody's interested in doing this winter. Um, you, they, the things that they're always looking for in like a big Ziploc freezer bag, you can put socks, gloves, water bottle, bandages, wet wipes, toothbrush and toothpaste, sunscreen, crackers, nail clippers, a comb gum and chapstick. Uh, those things can all be bought at a dollar store, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. have to cost us a ton of money. You keep a few of those in the car at all times and you can always hand those to somebody. 
The Catechism of the Catholic Church actually speaks about poverty, and, and it says this, quote, Human misery elicited the compassion of Christ the Savior. Hence, those who are oppressed by poverty are the object of a preferential love on the part of the church. Mm. You know, this is like the very basic teachings of Christianity that, right. that we help the needy, that we help those who are without homes. Um, you know, Christ wasn't homeless when he was born, but they were search certainly searching for a place for him to be born. And they were turned away mm -hmm. um, multiple times, right, before they found the spot where, where Mary could give birth to Jesus. And so our, our very Savior had that moment of looking for him. And then they did flee to Egypt. Um, this is all built right into the very roots of our own faith. Mm -hmm. For sure. So the fifth corporal act of mercy is to visit the sick. And I mean, is there a more relevant corporal <laughs> act of mercy right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to visit anybody might uh, be a bit of a stretch for people, depending on your <laughs> community restrictions, we'll say. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of flexibility we can do. And one of the things that I was thinking about is this is the time to make use of the technology that we have mm. <laughs> at our mm. fingertips. Um, I remember locally here when we were at first very, very locked down right at the beginning in March. Um, I remember being on the phone what felt like all the time right? Checking mm -hmm. in on people and being so grateful that I had this technology that like we weren't so sequestered that I could not reach out and just keep tabs on people and make sure they were okay. Whether it was um, Zoom chats or even just picking up the telephone, like how many centuries before our modern era right now didn't even have the capacity to yeah. immediately speak to someone who wasn't immediately in front of you, right? Yeah. And so um, visiting the sick, I think um, there is an element uh, in any case that goes beyond health uh, that is even just the companionship when someone yes. is going through a, a particularly difficult illness or even just uh, to the point where they're just under the weather and could use an encouraging word. Yeah, there's um, another way of saying comforting the sick because some of these corporal acts of mercy use different language depending on what source you're looking at. And mm -hmm. one of the other ways of saying this one is, um, it, yeah, it's comforting the afflicted. So it's not just visiting oh. the sick; it's comforting the afflicted. Mm -hmm. And I, I like love that. that. Yeah. And I, I only heard very briefly this morning somebody shared a TED talk on uh, about a research project that was done on people who lived into their hundreds. Mm -hmm. And what these researchers determined, and again, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I'm going to later, but they determined that it really didn't come down to if you smoked or not, if you ate fast food every day, if you got a lot of exercise, um, those things were all part of it. But they found that there was a common thing between almost everybody that lived to the age of 100, and that was social companionship. Mm. that they had people in their lives that were checking in on them. And so that that's what you're saying here is like, this is such an important part of being with those who are sick. And I think that we just have to get more creative. And I think mm -hmm. we, we've all been hearing very, very sad stories about how the elderly who are really on lockdown in these homes, uh, so many of them are seem to be dying of loneliness or crying out for, I don't care if I get sick, I just need to see someone. Right. Like it's a very... Right. Sticky situation. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. And of course, we're not advocating for recklessness here. Mm -hmm. But one thing I do want us to consider is are we too scared? Because mm -hmm. if you look back through mm -hmm. all of history, there were people who, no matter what the risk was, priests, nuns, doctors, who would go in without any of the medical PPE that we have now, and they would immerse themselves in the most 
um, contagious societies there were. Yeah. Did they die? Yeah. Some of them did, Mm -hmm. but are we too scared? Like, can we get more creative here? Because I am really, really worried about the long-term effects on people's uh, mental health here. Yeah, me too. When we're we're weighing that up against their physical health, right? So it's a a very unique time in our history to be talking about um, visiting the sick or comforting the afflicted. Um, Mother Angelica, (laughs) I know you and I were laughing about this. She talked about how she's like, do you ever have a friend come by and they sing you their organ song? And people are like, (laughs) what? And she's like, you know your organ song. My lungs, my kidneys, my heart, my head, my legs. (laughs) They're singing you their song about all those things that are always broken. She goes, and you're like, oh, Aunt Ruth, stop it. And she's like... Have you ever just thought, okay, you know what? I'm not going to roll my eyes. I'm going to keep my, mm-hmm. my thoughts to myself. And I'm just going to say, oh dear, that sounds terrible. I am so sorry that you're going through that. She goes, what gift is our compassion? Like what? It's such a powerful gift to just go against what you want to say and just offer somebody sympathy. Mm-hmm. comfort the afflicted. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is so important now with, um, mental health. Like we've talked, our generation is talking more openly about mental health than ever before. I talked to you this morning about mm-hmm. some physical symptoms. I'm feeling from my, my PMDD, which is my severe PMS. And, and you didn't <laughs> throw back at me. Well, come on, we're all tired. You know, you were like, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And then you said, what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just that you are one of those people that doesn't just say, what can I do? You have brought me chicken soup before it's that, mm. that, okay, let's just not say it. Let's not just play, pay lip service to it. What can we do then say, you know what, I'm going to drop off coffee to, for you tonight. It'll be on your porch at seven o'clock. Like just mm-hmm. what can we do? Um, and so it's, if we think about it as comforting the afflicted, it isn't just the people who are physically sick right now. It, we, again, we still have friends that are postpartum, mm-hmm. right? We have people that are in isolation that aren't sick. Uh, are, are we helping enough? Are we too scared to help? Do we just need to be more creative? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Creative and then courageous, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> because um, this feeds right into the next one, the the sixth Ooh. corporal act of mercy, yes. right? Um, which is visit the prisoner, right? Um, and I think that's another whole area of affliction <laughs> that we sometimes yeah. maybe not consider. And that um, takes, I think, even an extra dose of both creativity and courageousness. Yeah. So to visit the imprisoned, you know what? I've had a calling on my heart for a long time about this. We have um, in our city one of only five federal female prisons mm. in our country. And for a long time, it was only one of two. Like it was a really big deal when we got it in the late 90s. And it's in the area that I actually grew up in in my neighborhood. My brother used to volunteer there during his college years. And in the last year or so, I've been really starting to ask around about how involved the Catholic Church is with it. It's within our diocese. Mm. And sadly, I found out that it's basically not really involved uh, in working with the women that are in this prison. There is phenomenal prison outreach um, through other Christian and Mm -hmm. non-Christian societies, I guess, that go in there and do that work. And it's, it's outstanding. But as a Catholic, I'm just heartbroken that there are women in this prison and in our other prisons that don't have access to the sacraments, 
like mm. to confession and the Eucharist. These are huge things. And so it's something that I want to look into more because it should be available for everybody. You know, there's a photo that I know you and I have both seen and it went viral in, in the Catholic world about a priest in his very beautiful vestments. It looked like traditional vestments who is crouched down beside a very heavy metal solid prison door. Mm. And he's clutching the hand of a man whose hand is just out from like the little tray area where he could put his food. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you can tell he's praying with them and he had heard his confession and it's an incredibly moving image. And I remember staring at that going, oh my goodness, they might have confessed to their crimes, you know, in a Mm -hmm. law sense, in a judicial sense, and they still might be serving their time. But everybody who needs to seek confession in a sacramental sense, that should be offered to them all the time. And if it's not, then there's a huge injustice happening here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard, I think, to when we talk this, um, this whole topic about recognizing the dignity of mm-hmm. a person, right? It's really hard as Jesus commands us to love our enemies. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, depending on the crime and and things of that nature, um, you know, at best, we just kind of forget about prisoners. Yeah. Um, and at worst, we revile them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that is not the call of the Christian. It's it, we acknowledge the need and the necessity to um, atone right? We're in the Catholic church. We understand atonement for our sins and penance and repentance, but we also do, like you said, preach compassion and mercy and always conversion of heart, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's really important that there are means available to even those who are imprisoned in physical prison um, to have access to that kind of mercy. And we're called to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what I, the reason why I said it takes some creativity and certainly some courage is because, you know, like what you're saying, I don't know how. This isn't really something that is talked about, I find, in our culture and community, this um, the idea of outreach to prison. Yeah. I think, again, Jesus outlined it for us in the words of the Our Father. Forgive us our trespassers um, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And our Lord, we will only be forgiven to the level that we have forgiven others. Mm. And so this can either be, you know, for the people who've hurt us directly or our understanding as a whole to about forgiveness in general. And we're going to, we're talking about like the forgiveness of the worst of the worst criminals. And if, if we can foster that spirit of forgiveness within our own hearts and within our own communities, that is something that we can do through prayer. We can be offering up mortifications and penance for those hardened criminals who might not do that for themselves. Mm. We can do that. Mm-hmm. Because only good comes out of forgiveness. Only good can come out of these people asking to be forgiven and seeking to heal the wounds that they have done. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing bad that comes out of us praying for them and for asking for those conversions of heart, right? right. So the only forgiveness and healing can come from that. So our prayers are so important with that. It is really especially important in my family that my children see, because we are a policing family, that they see both sides of law and justice that they see that their father is, um, you know, an, 
one of the active parts in getting some of these people into jail, Mm -hmm. but that our family will always, we always know that jail isn't the end of the line for these people. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. be. And that, that mercy and forgiveness that you were talking about, that that is something our family should always be extending to them as well. And that we, what we want to always find is that lost sheep where we know that heaven rejoices when somebody repents. Um, And I look at my own past life and my own sins, and I'm so thankful I had confession available to me. And these people deserve to be freed from that. The bars that are not only physical bars, but the the imprisonment of sin. And that leads me to the next thing that Prison isn't just a physical place where criminals right. are in, right? Mother Angelica was say, talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was talking about that, like, in my case, in my past life, I was trapped in a, a sin prison <laughs> um, that I needed to be removed from. Yeah. And I was thinking even to the other kinds of prisons or to put it in another way, the things that we can become slaves to in our Mm -hmm. life, right? I see this idea of prison and being a prisoner is anyone who is not free (laughs) Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, physically. um, And, you know, even kind of talking about addiction, to people who are slaves to addictions or um, who are prisoners uh, in the sense of like what we were talking about with mental health and feeling like they're, they can't find a way out. Yeah. Right. So it's not always like um, in, in the traditional sense of thinking about prison of what we were talking about, how you commit a crime and then you have to atone. Sometimes, even sometimes through no fault of your own, people can just feel trapped is I think what I'm trying to say. And what, what is the measure of compassion that we meet those people at and what can we do for them? Even beginning to ask the question and starting to open our eyes and look around and even praying to the Holy Spirit, like, please make it obvious um, who needs a hand, a hand up, like yeah. um, someone to help pull them, pull a little bit on our end to help bring them out back into the light again. And sadly, again, with COVID and with this lockdown, there's been a massive increase in domestic violence and violence against children, right? Mm. Um, being at home and laying in on the couch and watching Netflix is a dream come true for many of us. But for a lot of people, it's actually a prison for them because their escape was their job. Their escape for some children was school. And so, again, we know from a policing side, this, the horror stories of some people who home is the prison. And so being really aware and educating yourself on domestic violence, you know, watching your friends carefully, making sure they're okay. Um, Just looking for the clues, being really, really aware of what domestic violence looks like. And then you can, you know, maybe save someone's life from that. I've had to do that with people. Mm. And, um, you know, there is help out there and there is a fresh start from them, but there are plenty of prisons in this world that are not just what they think they are, that what we think they are. Mm -hmm. And God gives us uh, freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so we again, in our Christian mission, our call to uphold that gift that he has already given all of us and to protect it to the best of our abilities. So the last corporal act of mercy is burying the dead. And we can't begin to imagine how hard it would have been at different times in history to actually properly bury the dead. Like that's no easy task sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sadly, we have a kind of had a taste of that this year again with COVID and we've seen you know throughout the world some mass graves or we've seen images of bodies being stacked up in New York and and in big cities uh, right here and you know the western world 
We've also seen funerals having to happen online, uh, people not receiving a proper funeral mass, people not being able to receive their last rites, family members not being able to travel to funerals, people dying alone and scared. I never thought we would see those things, but we have. Mm-hmm. And this is all tied in with burying the dead because for me, although I'm not an undertaker, um, we we should be very aware of death. This is, again, a really big part of the Catholic Church, the whole memento mori. Mm-hmm. And for every other generation up until ours, death was present in their regular lives. It just was a part of their their lives. For us, we often, and, and when it's not COVID, we lose a loved one. Uh, they're, they're whisked away. We see them when they're all beautiful again in a, in a beautiful setting in a funeral home and we say goodbye. It's very mm-hmm. sterile. Uh, it's not messy usually. There it is for some people, but for most people, it's a very controlled situation. Um, and so this idea of facing death, of accepting that one day we too will die is, is something that is incredibly, I think, important for us to, to face. It's been thrown in our faces this year in a way that we never thought it could be. It's posed, it's made us ask a lot of questions. Um, but I do think again, that there is a lot of good that can come out of this idea of having to face your own mortality and the mortality of those that you love. Mm-hmm. Well, it it just continues to inform both how you will continue to live your life and to yep. remember what a gift our entire being is, right? Like we are not souls right. with a body. We are body mm-hmm. and soul, both are gifts that were given to us by God. And so the treatment, even of our, uh, you know, we teach in the Catholic Church, we have masses said for the soul and we mm-hmm. treat the body of the dead with respect and with mm-hmm. dignity, right? Because both are the person. <laughs> That's right. And so this is a corporal act of mercy, especially to those who may not have family or means to provide that dignity for their loved ones themselves. Um, And that's a really important thing too. And I think it really reminds us of what is beyond this life and this world. You know, like St. Teresa of Avila said, this world is thy ship, not thy Mm -hmm. home. And it's that whole concept of like, we are all pilgrims passing yeah. through this life um, on our way to something else. And the way we treat our, our deceased um, continues along that it sends that message like this is not the end for that person. What can we continue to do to uphold the dignity of this person? Yeah, there is... um. This is going to be so macabre and it's so Catholic nerdy, but we have <laughs> received an extension on this chance to gain an indulgence for the holy souls in purgatory, as you know, Michelle, for the mm-hmm. entire month of November. It's usually for the first week of November. And for that first week of November, you'll often find Catholic families um, praying in cemeteries for a week mm-hmm. and they visit different cemeteries. It's one of my kids' favorite things. <laughs> And I know how that must sound to our listeners who are not Catholic, but bear with me here. Um, it, it is a very precious time for mm-hmm. us because we do believe that um, that there is an in-between resting place where if if you have done the crime, and we mean any crime, any sinful act here in this world, uh, you still there's a, still a temporal punishment. You still have to pay the time for that as, mm-hmm. as you're purified because no unclean thing can enter heaven. And so without us getting all into purgatory, um, right. <laughs> what, what we're saying here is that this is, this is its whole own stage. As we're talking about like life, like all of these stages and each stage of a person's life, whether that's body or soul or body and soul, mm-hmm. um, they need 
it needs to be treated properly and we need to acknowledge it for what it is. And so, yeah, do you visit cemeteries? Have you taught your children to respect the resting places of people? Mm -hmm. Do they run around? Are they silly there? Um, Do you clean up graves like the ones of your loved ones or some that you've seen that have always been neglected? Do you you take the time to do that? Um, These are really important things, whether you believe in purgatory or you visit the cemeteries in November or not. Like these, some of these things are just secular actions. And so it's really important. I don't think that we can grasp how important each day is unless we grasp that our days will come to an end. St. John Bosco said, do not put off till tomorrow the good you can do today. Mm. You may not have a tomorrow. And so all of these other corporal acts of mercy, I mean, it, it, we have to view them in the light of this final one of the burying of the dead, that we have this chance to do all of these acts of mercy until we can't do it any longer. So it is all a reflection of, an, of a complete and total life. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, there's one more thing that I think that we actually can do that, you know, is in the same vein, but I actually think it's the most romantic wedding anniversary gift you can give to your spouses. Have you considered planning your own funeral? <laughs> it's something <laughs> Jason point is. You yes. know what I'm getting to, yeah. right? So yeah. for our 20th wedding anniversary, um, I think that what we will do, this is in four years from now, is we're planning on buying our own burial plots. I think that it's a gift to our loved ones if we can relieve some of the emotional, psychological, and financial burden from them. If you can, right now, mm-hmm. start to kind of take over that planning. Um, it really also helps you with your spouse decide what you want for that. And and then that'll, again, whenever we focus on the end of our lives, it, we can then step back and think about where we're at currently because we're not heaven help like hopefully we're not we're not having to make those decisions because you're you're there that you Mm -hmm. actually if you plan it ahead right you can step back and be like hey we're not there yet so we are living what can we do for the living but sometimes you need to think a little bit ahead to be able to refocus then back on the fact that you're not there yet so yes for our 20th wedding anniversary i think we're going to buy our our burial plots i know other family (laughs) members who have done this and uh, it's not quite as romantic as some other things but i think it's important to know that that that's where I'm going to end up beside my husband and that the kids see that we're taking that seriously now. Mm-hmm. My parents have done that and mm. they've talked to all of us kids about exactly the plan and they've yeah. bought their plot. And sometimes my mom will say like, want to take a walk and go see my plot? Yes, I love it. <laughs> and I think, okay, sure. Um, it, it really is this idea and it is very Catholic. The fact that we're mm. not uh, afraid of death. Oh, death, where yep. is thy sting? You know, like that yep. is really the creed that we march by um, and, and that the kids see like, this is all just life. <laughs> Obviously, grandma is still here. <laughs> right. right? Um, thanks be to God. But this is the plan. There is a plan. And when there's a plan, there's always security. And right. I think that um, even going beyond the the dignity and respect and care for others that we have in burying others who, who have died, um, making those plans for yourself is still a form of charity for right. your loved ones that even in death you are still considering other people like yep. that could yep. be written on your tombstone right yeah. even in death she's taking care of us <laughs> yep or she had to have control over this too because she was a total control freak <laughs> yeah that will be online <laughs> but yeah I do think that you know when we end up here with this last one being like a confrontation of death I realize all along looking at all of these corporal acts of mercy they're all confronting the 
some of the more hard to face parts of society, right? Mm. We're thinking, we talked about feeding the hungry, giving the drinks to the thirsty, clothing the naked, the homeless. What we're saying here, these are all the things that we want to turn our heads away from. All mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. They're they're all the hard things and they're the smelly things. Death is smelly and it's it's terrifying and it's it's just not something we want to have to see. But all of these things have aspects of that. And we're telling you right now that you can't run from them. You really can't. And so we we can the church has given us these tools to understand that if we do these corporal acts of mercy, that it is truly a pouring out of ourselves for the other person, but that we can become holier and through doing this, it can sanctify us as it's making them hopefully holier. It is this, it is truly the ultimate gift. And that is the message of Christ. It is this love and outpouring of his mercy through our own hands. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? We started this whole conversation saying that, you know, we can sometimes feel helpless. Like Mm -hmm. what can we do (laughs) to make the world a better place? And I remember in our planning session for this, I said, we may not have a lot for this episode and that's okay. (laughs) And then (laughs) like, wow, we have like almost two weeks worth here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I think that this is really powerful when we stop and think about this, that right now it seems like the world is spinning out of control. But Mm -hmm. the one who is in control of the world ultimately has given us our marching orders. And these last two weeks, we've talked about seven of them that deal with the very physical, tangible world around us. And so when we feel out of order and thrown in a little bit of chaos, we come back to these. And this is our contribution to helping make the world a better place. And I think we can all be very empowered and inspired by that. And I really think that it's, this is going to be the thing that um, puts the world on a better path. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? I'm actually a little embarrassed by what I've been loving this week, Um, but I've always been transparent on this podcast. So I feel like it's time that I really, you know, shout to the world about how much I am actually enjoying those cheesy Christmas movies, like the Hallmark movies. (laughs) So I, you guys need to know, like, I do not like romantic movies. I don't like dollar store or like, um, books you'd pick up like the Nicholas Sparks books, those easy reads. I don't like even Mm -hmm. romantic comedies. Like I hated the notebook. I hate those movies. So this is not a genre that I would typically enjoy. And (laughs) there's just something about surrendering to the plot, just totally giving in (laughs) to it and accepting what's going to happen. And you just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Michelle, there's like the city girl who's like a part-time photographer who's lost her creative spark and then she needs to return home for Christmas. And then she literally will crash into with her body, the local Mr. Nice Guy <laughs> and her luggage will go everywhere and they don't get along at first. And he has a bad taste in his mouth about Christmas because his grandma died on Christmas. Um, but then they run into each other all over town and there's always a kid with him. And then she thinks it's his kid, but then there's a plot twist. It's his little brother's kid that he's been looking after because his brother's in the military. And then they join up forces to like plan a Christmas party and then boom they kiss at the end and you watch the movie that's that's basically wow. all of them right <laughs> you just wrote a Hallmark movie Thank you no problem well done it took three seconds <laughs> I'd watch that <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> 
Well, I have to say, and if people go back and listen to our episodes on entertainment, um, you know, it is kind of mm-hmm. nice to settle in and watch something where there is no swearing, there's no blasphemy, there's no nudity. Uh, and, and if you just accept it for being super cheesy, you can just like the movie for what it is, yes. right? It's fun. Yes. Now, we don't have ca- uh, cable. We haven't in years. So, and I know that now you can download the Hallmark app. You can pay for that. But I just want to mm-hmm. let people know that if you don't want to do that either, these movies are all over Amazon Prime, including some Hallmark ones that they have brought onto Amazon Prime. They're all mm. over, like countless. And, you know, with Prime, if you clicked on one or two movies, you will get a thousand suggested <laughs> to you. So if you have no other way to watch them, um, we no longer have Netflix. But I do remember last year there was a few on Netflix as well, but they are all over Amazon Prime. So if you've been putting it off because you think you like grittier artsy stuff like me and you're oh so (laughs) hipster um about those things just no just surrender just surrender make the hot cocoa watch the cheesy christmas movie i love that because i'm all in i've always been all in for the cheesy hallmark (laughs) christmas (laughs) movies (laughs) and but i'm really excited for the um the 2020 versions of Mm. these movies You know, and I think there were some threads that were so good. They're so entertaining online, pl- doing exactly what you did, plotting out the Hallmark movies where it's like a, a high-powered corporate executive goes to the wrong Zoom meeting and ends up in the community Christmas planning session. Oh and yeah, anyways. Yes. And they forget their mask going into the Christmas store next year and are forced That's to borrow right. a mask from the man in the parking lot. <laughs> We'll be branching into filmmaking shortly. Yeah, <laughs> we have big dreams. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Michelle, what have you been loving this week? Okay, so <laughs> kind of taking a bit of a turn. Oh, again. again, this happens every <laughs> once in a while. I know. More often recently, mm-hmm. curiously enough, but not too bad. So you'll appreciate this one, too. Um, it, it's actually Lucy Worsley's A Very British Murder. My favorite, yes. I know, yes. Mm-hmm. So you have um, been recommending it to me forever, mm-hmm. but I can't, I could never find it because mm-hmm. it was unavailable on YouTube for the longest time yep. and I didn't know where else to subscribe to get it. But we had to get BritBox mm-hmm. to finish watching season five of Line of Duty. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh my goodness, we have BritBox now. Mm-hmm. So I'm only two episodes in. But I am already totally invested, like I knew I would be. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with her, um, to some of our listeners, Lucy Worsley, she is a fantastic historian. She's so entertaining to watch. And she really has a knack for bringing history to life. Mm-hmm. So in this series, she's taking a look at the history of our fascination with murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and it, it is fascinating and enlightening it's a little macabre Mm -hmm. (laughs) so in a word total huga viewing for the modern lady listener and the best thing is how she pronounces the word murder murder Murder. yes (laughs) like if for no other reason you guys need to watch it so you can hear her say murder (laughs) yes it's not the modern lady (laughs) podcast if we don't recommend something about murder every couple of weeks (laughs) exactly Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time.